0: Mile 97, I'm three miles away, three miles away from the finish, but I stop, break my own rule of, of not moving forward and I stop on the trail, I have my hands just over my face just miserable and all I'm thinking is this is so hard I can't do it. There's this one guy, his name's Vasil, and I was running with him from mile mile 40 through 60 in some of my darkest times. And he's coming up behind, and he's running so strong, and his pacer's with him, and his pacer just looks at me and just goes, "Hop on," and I go, "You know what? I might as well." And I hop on with him, and we just start running
1: hard. Running 100 miles seems impossible, and maybe even kind of crazy, and it is but we believe in big, crazy dreams. That's why we ran 100 miles. It was such a life-changing experience for us, we decided to devote this podcast to preparing and inspiring you to run your first ultra race.
2: Are you ready to fill the highest highs and the lowest lows? Are you ready to do what you once thought was impossible? Are you ready for your Trail to 100? Thank you for joining us here on Trail to 100. I'm Jacob Bateman. Joined along with me is my beautiful and lovely wife, Melody. And joined along with us today, we have Joe Corsion. Now, Joe is the host of the Everyday Ultra podcast, which I would highly recommend you check out. It has inspired me to get out there hit the trails and i've learned a lot from it so please go check it out but today joe is here to tell his story now joe did something crazy he set a goal to podium his first 100 mile race and he just completed that race and we talked with him five days afterwards so we hope you enjoy it there's lots to learn lots to take away joe has inspired me to get out there and try harder and i know he will do the same so enjoy So thank you, Joe, for joining us today on Trail to 100. We are so excited to talk to you. As we mentioned earlier, you have your own podcast, the Everyday Ultra podcast, which is the way we found you and which we highly recommend you go check out. But wow, you have inspired me a lot. I know personally, as I've listened to that podcast, almost like reigniting a flame. So thanks for joining us. I'm so stoked to have you on the podcast today.
0: Oh, Jacob and Melody, thank you both for having me on here and for your super kind words. It is—I don't take the support and the and the the kindness lightly. It really means a ton, and it's such an honor to be here, you know, on this show on the Trail to One Hundred podcast because you guys have had on some awesome guests, and it really is an honor to be uh, on here alongside them. So, thank you.
2: Great, great. So, Joe, what we want to know here is what. First things first, what inspired you to? getting into ultra running like what what inspired you because i know you said that you naturally aren't an athletic guy so what inspired you what changed in your life where you're like i want to go run a hundred mile race
0: yeah it's a great question and i love that you pointed out that kind of background where i didn't have the athletic ability right because i think a lot of people will see not just myself but other people completing 100 mile distance and they think oh they have such great genetics. Like they were probably born that way. And I will be the first to tell you that I was not born that way. If you like rewound into my life, probably five, 10 years ago and looked at me and said, that dude's going to be an ultra runner. You would laugh your ass off. I know I would hundred percent. So about five, 10 years ago, I, you know, was very unathletic kid, very unhealthy and uh, not just physically, but also mentally as well. So I struggled with anxiety, depression, Just not feeling good about my life. And that led me to make a lot of poor decisions, specifically around drinking a ton on the weekends, especially going out to parties, blacking out, not even just on the weekends, on the weekdays, getting uh, into hard drugs and uh, specifically ended up getting uh, addicted to Adderall. So I was very reliant on it, taking it every single day, mostly because in myself, I didn't believe that I could function as a human being without it, but also I didn't like the reality that I was living in subconscious. And by taking that substance, it almost forced me to kind of live a life that I thought that I liked, but deep down I didn't. And over the years, you know, there was a lot of pitfalls and, you know, there's a whole lot of details on that, but long story short, I kept on making these awful decisions and I found myself a rock bottom at a place where I remember I was living with my parents at the time. I was on the floor of my room, looking up at the ceiling and thinking, what the hell am I doing with my life? So I decided to just take control and and really just make some decisions. And I said, okay, well, what's the first thing I need to do? Well, I need to get healthy, right? So what do I got to do to get healthy? Well, I'll start lifting weights. Why not? So I started lifting weights, tried to get healthy, and then started to get a little bit into CrossFit. And there was some running in there and started running. And man, my first mile time was probably like, I don't know, 15, 16 minutes, like totally gassed and winded. And I was like, screw running. This sucks. Like whatever. And then down the line, my friends asked me like, Hey, you know, you're working out. Like you're doing all this stuff. Let's sign up for a Spartan race. It's only 5k. It'll be easy. And I'm like, Oh, 5k. Like I can do that. No problem. I'm working out. I'm doing all these things. It's, it's whatever do the 5k Spartan race kicks my ass completely. Can't even walk the next day. I'm just miserable. And I'm like, this was terrible. But in the back of my mind, there was something in there that said, Hey, why don't you get better at this? Like, why not? Like something inside of me and I can't really explain what it is. It wanted me to get better at that. And it was in that pursuit of getting better where I not only fell in love with the pursuit of challenging myself, but also with the pursuit of overcoming goals and obstacles. One of those being getting sober and getting rid of the addiction. Now, I was still technically on the addiction at the time when I did the Spartan race, but I was starting to get down that path and of recovery, so to say. And down that path, you know, I also signed up for the next biggest Spartan race, which was a 10K. And I said, I'm going to crush this one. It's a longer distance. It's going to go. And I crushed that 10 K Spartan race. And as I kept leveling up my races, I did the half marathon. And then I started to run a marathon on my own. I eventually gained so much confidence in myself to say, Hey, if I can do all this coming from a place where I was just unathletic, I can become sober. I can do this. I can change who I am. And I eventually ended up being sober, which now I've been you know, sober for three plus years, which has just been amazing. But it was something that I learned. And I take it away from ultra or running, and specifically, not just ultra running, that running allows you to find what you're really capable of. And it allows you to show you that you're capable of going way more farther. And ultra running is just a way to make that times a million, right? So I just became obsessed with keep pushing myself and, you know, eventually got into the hundred mile distance and the longer distances, but I've never looked back since just because I just love that feeling of pushing myself, challenging myself, getting better, but ultimately really just knowing who I am along the way. And I think that's what draws a lot of people to the sport in general, is you find out who you are, especially when you're on a trail for a hundred miles at your darkest points which can end up being your most beautiful
1: mic drop whoa (laughs) so much gold in everything you just said wow I'm just blown away
2: that's that's awesome Joe that story of how running helped bring you out from the depths like that just that's that's awesome because you know we ourselves like I guess you know a lot of listeners here know that what got me into ultra running is I was working like a, a nine to five job where I found myself like in stagnation mm-hmm. with this job. And, and I just wasn't, I was feeling like just complacent and, and just starting to like almost feel worthless. And, and mm-hmm. I, then I read this book, you know, I read the David Goggins book and I didn't even know, I didn't even know ultra running was a thing. I thought marathons was as far as anyone ever got. And then like, kind of like what you were saying with there was just there's just a drive for more that craving of feeling uncomfortable again and feeling like I'm doing something I'm moving forward. I was like I want that and that's what started that's what started me down that journey. But I want to ask you along that question. So a lot of people I mean me myself included I just wanted to finish a hundred mile race. That was it. <laughs> that was all I wanted to do initially just starting out. When I first started listening to your podcast, one of the first things you said on your podcast was how you wanted to podium your first 100-mile race. That was a goal of yours. Mm-hmm. How, how did that goal come to be? Because that, that, that made my mouth drop. I was like, who is this guy? He, he thinks he's going to podium his first 100-mile race? Who is he? So tell us the background behind that.
0: man and and I also want to say man congrats to you and your journey for you know being in a in a situation in a job you don't like and picking up the book and taking the action to, to forge your own path man like I I love meeting people like that. And I think that's what makes the ultra running community so special is you meet people like that. So definitely want to say, man, congrats on that amazing journey that you've had, but yes, yeah, So onto the, the podium goals. So uh, it definitely is a very big goal, very big stretch hundred percent, but similar to you when when I first started, my original kind of intent was just to kind of finish races. I was like, I, you know, people would ask me like, what's your goal time? Like, what's your place? And I was like, no, I just want to like finish. Like to me, it's just about finishing. And then, you know, for me, I started to get to the point where like finishing the races was almost like a no doubt for me like I like it wouldn't scare me and what really made the challenges super intoxicating when I first started the Spartan races was that I didn't think I was going to finish them so when I did that 10k Spartan race in the beginning, I actually had in the back of my head, I might not finish this. And that scares the hell out of me. Same with the half marathon, same with the first Spartan ultra that I did, which was my first ultra marathon. I had that fear, same with the 50 first 50 miler that I did. But as I started diving into challenges, people would ask, do you, are you scared? And I'd be like, no, I'm definitely going to finish. And I kind of lost a little bit of the reward just internally from that. Cause I'm a big believer that If the most fulfilling goals are the ones that scare the crap out of you. And at that point I said, well, that one doesn't scare the crap anymore. Finishing doesn't, then what can I do here? And I said, well, what if I aim for like the best? And to your point, like what you said, it's like, you know, who's this guy? think he is like, you know, just starting at his first hundred miles, a podium. I get that in my head. And that's what triggers that fear, you know? And I was like, there it is. That scares me. That's the goal. And so for me, it's, it's a goal because it's so big and it scares me and it terrifies me, but it's in the pursuit of those scary goals where I really just find the deepest fulfillment. And so that's for, for me, like why I want a podium. So that's the big thing too. And, and secondly, on a, on a shorter note too, is I also want to set an example to say, hey, if this guy can go out and hit the podium and be one of the best ultra runners coming from a background where he was addicted to drugs, not athletic, then everybody else, can make the change that they want to, whether they want to be an ultra runner, whether they want to switch to a different career, whatever it is. I just want to set an example of saying who you are now does not determine who you are in the future and you can make that change. So it's really a two-pronged approach and that's it there.
2: Wow. <sighs>
1: you're inspirational. You. I love everything you're saying. And at the same time, I hate it. I'm like, stop telling <laughs> me to do scary things. I'm like, dang it. It's so true. And I hate that. That's true. <laughs> fine. fine. I'll sign up for that race that I'm terrified for. Fine. There you go.
0: <laughs> there you go. No, it, and it is, it's, it's painful. It's why, you know, default, like you said, it's like, oh man, I hate that. I hear it. And It's not enjoyable, it's not pleasant in the moment. Like that fear response is so gut-wrenching. And even when you're in the middle of it, it's just so painful, especially in an ultra. But I'm a firm believer is that everything you want in life is on the other side of discomfort. And so it's like once you can train yourself to get through that pain, and really the sky's the limit. And you don't have to like it. You don't have to like the feeling it's okay. But in the same time, it's sometimes like The things that really just suck the most are the things that are the most rewarding
2: there you are folks write it down Joe Corsion everything you want in life is on the edge of discomfort I like the other side of discomfort I love that
1: (laughs) and and the more uncomfortable it is the more fulfilling it is
2: yes 100% that's great you start down this ultra running journey. Then as you, as you start to get into the ultra distances, like what was, what was, what was your training? Like how, how did you approach it? I guess, you know, you said that you weren't very into running and then you just started going into it. So how did you find, I guess, your way to like track a path down to a hundred miles? Like where did you start?
0: Yeah. Great question. So my first ultra ever in terms of just like a specifically an ultra run was uh, a 50 miler here in Arizona and uh, training for that. So that race was in December of 2019. I started my training probably around February of that year. And honestly, I had no idea what I was doing. I literally searched up 50 mile training plan on Google found the first link. I was like, ah, this looks good. And I just followed that. And basically what that was, if you want to kind of get into the specifics was kind of like a five-day run schedule where you're doing smaller to medium runs during the weeks. And then back-to-back long runs on Saturday and Sunday, most of my workouts really were just focused on just a slow and easy pace. Like, and that was really it. I wasn't really going fast. Like I was just slow and easy. And because I, I kind of learned just from reading and stuff that the slower you go, the faster you'll run. And that's really a true scenario is when you train your body to go slower it's not essentially you'll be a faster runner. It's you're able to hold that pace for a longer like time. That's what a lot of people kind of get the misconception about an ultra running is like, Oh, I want to increase your pace. It's man. Maybe you don't want to increase your pace. Maybe you actually just want to be able to maintain that same pace for a while. You look at most splits in an ultra. It's like in the beginning you're going out hot Mm -hmm. and I'm guilty of this in my last hundred. And then that pace just plummets. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't really get it too. Right. But that's like the goal is to be able to either negative split or, most like flat split. So that was kind of my goal there. I ended up finishing the race, came in 22nd, but my goal was kind of to finish. But then I started to make a detour into triathlon and saw that like my running performance wasn't really getting that much better. I was kind of staying at the same pace. And granted I was also biking and swimming at the time. But after that triathlon career, I kind of retired from that and said I want to go after a hundred and then set a goal of I want to be better. Crap, I need to accelerate my success. And what's the best thing you do to accelerate success? hire a coach, better yet, hire a coach who's one of the best in their field. So I started working with Zach Bitter, who is one of the most accomplished ultra runners out there, former 100 miler uh, time record um, for fastest 100 miler, multiple records that he has under his belt. And so I hired him to go and coach me because I told him, I was like, hey, I want to be one of the best what am I missing out? What do I need to, to learn? And I started working with him in pursuit of my first hundred mile race. The biggest, I think game changer was twofold from working with Zach, two lessons that I learned. The first thing is actually incorporate speed work. So it is important to go very, very slow, but at the same time, speed work is equally important. A lot of people in ultra running think, well, I don't need to be fast, right? Like, yeah, sure. Like I said before, you don't need to have the fastest pace, but if you want to reduce your baseline pace, one of the best ways to do that is through the speed work as well. So you want to find that kind of balance between reducing your base pace, but also, you know, being able to sustain that lower pace for the longest time, right? It's, it's kind of one of the, like, you need to play that balancing game and speed work allows you to really do that when you pile it on top of the slow long runs. So adding that, I mean, I went from a and this is specifically on road. In beginning on a 50% effort on a road, my pace was about eight miles, and that would be for a half marathon. At the end of the training program, my base for a 50% effort was 658. So, and I incorporate that mostly to speed work. The second thing too is sleep. So Zach told me I need to be getting more sleep. I was not sleeping well, slept like crap uh, before. And then I started just to increase my sleep, prioritizing my recovery. And I just found I was able to bounce back way quicker. I wasn't sore. I was able to get back out there and you're not making it to the start line. If you're injured or if you're, you know, just totally, if your body's wrecked or it's just not going to be a fun day out there. So I think getting the speed work in and getting the sleep also paired with just, you know, learning from one of the best in the world helped me to, you know, finish 11th place in my first 100 miler. Although it wasn't, you know, the podium that I wanted, still, you know, I was very proud with the effort, sub 24 hours, which was just great for me. And then winning first in my age group, I I saw that as a win. There's still a lot to learn of where I want to be, but, you know, working with Zach has been awesome and I'll be working with him going forward into this year as well.
2: We will return right back to our show after a word from our sponsor, for the ultimate in backcountry comfort, check out the high-quality gear of Teton Hammock Company. Whether you're going for an overnight trip or a week-long adventure, the ultra-light outdoor equipment from the Teton Hammock Company will keep you warm, dry, and sleeping like a baby. Their products are made of top-quality materials that outperforms all others. Check them out at TetonHammocks.com. With an S, that is TetonHammocks.com. Hang with the best Teton Hammett Company. Now back to the episode.
1: That's amazing. I mean, that's a huge win. That that's incredible to do that well on your first hundred. Thank you. So my question is, how do you find that balance between the low so miles and the speed work? Would you, I've heard some people say, start with one speed work session a week, slowly build that up, do a little bit more speed work before the race. Would you say Is that how you did it or what would you say?
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting question. So I would say, uh, you're definitely on the right track of like starting with one, uh, speed workout or very lighter speed workouts in the beginning. And the reason why is if you're not used to the speed work, what happens is you start activating different muscles and that could actually put you into a place where you can injure yourself. A lot of people will start speed work. The blood, their Achilles or like just get this Achilles pain or their calves start hurting because you're now you're using different muscles, different techniques and everything like that when you're running with speed work. So it was a gradual kind of ramp up for me. I started originally doing very shorter intervals. So in the beginning, it was really only you know, kind of run out and do, you know, 10 seconds fast and then 20 seconds recovery down the line, though, it started to get run two minutes fast. And then, you know, one minute recovery, repeat 10 times. So over time, once I started to have my body really just handle the load a lot better, I increased it a lot more. So the closer to the race that I got, the longer the intervals got, um, you know, so to say, obviously with the taper period in there where I actually did no speed work before in the two week taper in terms of when I started the speed work, I did a 13 week training plan and I started the speed work around week four and then kind of sprinkled it in around weeks four to week 10. Whereas like the two weeks is mostly focused on just taper and kind of recovery. So really the two big things with like speed work you want to just think about is one slow, gradual recovery, like you said, or not recovery, slow, gradual ramp up into the speed work. Cause you don't want to injure your Yourself. And then two, being able to get your most, your longest intervals or your most intense speed work sessions around the middle to the right before the taper. But this is at least, you know, the, the kind of philosophy that I prescribe to two weeks before don't be doing speed work. Um, Because what's going to happen is it really puts a taxing on your central nervous system. Your heart rate's racing a lot faster. You're pumping a lot more in there. Your legs are going to get a little bit more trashed. And you want to make sure those last two weeks are really just focused on getting your legs back to fresh, which the weeks that I was doing speed work, they usually weren't the freshest. So that's kind of the philosophy where I approached it.
1: That's great. That's great advice. I think that's something a lot of ultra runners, especially beginning ultra runners,
2: we did here. not. We did not do any speed we did work.
1: Zero <laughs> speed work before our first hundred. Yeah, and, and it we, s- we slowed down. We did a marathon two, two years. Yeah, two first years prior. Yeah. And mm. we had no idea how to train. We just went out and ran as hard as we could every time we ran. But we were, we were, you know, relatively fast. Like yeah, our our average splits were between six and eight minutes. You know, so we, that's awesome. Uh, but then we started training for an ultra and then our splits were like 13, 14 minutes. <laughs> we slowed, we slowed down. It also
2: so. roads to trails and yeah, made yeah. the transition.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but uh, how many, here's another question about your train before we get into the big hondo, like tell us how many miles a week you were putting on, like during your peak weeks
1: or how much time on your feet.
2: Yeah. like hmm. What that looked like.
0: Yeah, great question. So, in terms of mileage, my really peak weeks, I don't think, I think my highest week was 90 miles. So, I never hit the 100 mile week part. And I think, you know, There's a lot of different camps on there. And I, I honestly really think it's a personal thing. Some guys, I don't know if you follow this guy, Andrew glaze on uh, Instagram, this guy's a beast. He's ran a hundred plus mile weeks, I think for like two years straight or something like that. And he's not, not only that, but like, you know, he's came in second place in a few races, like places like pretty high. So for him, that works. Same with Jim Walmsley. I mean, like probably the best runner of our generation right now. And, you know, he, he's, you know, privy to putting up hundred mile weeks, but then you get some guys like Jeff Browning, who's also an incredible runner and he only puts up 80 to 90 miles a week. So for me, it was more of just, just kind of testing the waters out because I think I overdid my training in the past, especially leading into my 50 miler. And I think that, kind of led it to be a little bit more of a suffer fest. So I was mm-hmm. willing to kind of try a lower volume approach and just see what would happen. And I think it fared well for me. So 90 miles was really my peak week. And then hours a week, you know, it would kind of vary anywhere between 13 to, to 16 hours. I think the most was maybe 17 or 18. I also incorporate a lot of hiking, which I think is a huge benefit and something people don't think about, right. They're like, I don't need a hike. And it's like, you know, you're not going to be running that a hundred, like the hundred, Miles, you, it, it'll be very hard to run the entire thing, especially if you're on a hilly course. So getting in hiking is great too. So 90 miles a week, 17 hours is probably the, the peak. So, so never really hit that hundred mark until I actually did the race.
2: And how did you find time? Cause that's a part-time job. So it's 15 hours a week. <laughs>
0: It is. It is too. And and you know, I also, you know, I I'm just blessed to have an amazing girlfriend too that I want to spend time with as well and and just have a great relationship and also have friends and podcasts and the whole nine year and a full-time job. So it, it's a lot. So for me, it's just being very intentional with my time. And that's kind of like a twofold thing. The first thing is like, Usually at the beginning of every week, I look at my training schedule and I schedule my time in advance of when I'm going to train. Now, a lot of people will say, well, that's like super simple, but usually the simplest thing isn't the easiest or the most followed. A lot of people don't block off time in their schedule. So you really need to block off the time and then you got to treat those appointments as if you would treat them for work, right? So many times we'll block something off and we're like, eh, it's just me there. So, you know, I can be like five, 10 minutes later, whatever. You wouldn't do that for a work meeting with your boss, would you? So why would you totally stiff yourself and be late to your own meeting? So I always like say, like treat this like a work meeting. Treat this like a work meeting. And it allows me to show up fully. I also think that's what the benefit of having a plan in advance is. When you have a training plan in advance, whether it's from a coach or online, you're able to block it in advance. A lot of people who just kind of wing their training plans, you, know, you don't know what you're going to be doing on that given day. So you don't know how long it's going to take. You don't know when you're going to get it in. You don't know what it is. And so it's hard to really schedule it in advance. So I think scheduling in advance is huge. And then the second thing, and probably the most important thing is say no to the crap that just is not worth your time. Uh, a lot of times, like people will say yes to so many things like that they really don't like to do. And I know I'm super guilty. I'm I'm a yes man. I have people play, pleasing tendencies. I'm not throwing stones. I'm just speaking it because I do the same thing. But I had to really tell myself, you know, like, for example, like, I don't, you know, I don't drink and I don't kind of go out. So when a friend would ask, Hey, like, you know, we're going out for drinks at the bar. Like, do you want to come? I'd be like, you know, Hey man, like, you know, I just got a training plan the next day, but at the same time, you don't want to be at the part where you're totally alienating them. You just say, Hey, like, would love to catch up sometime else and schedule some other time as well. So just be very intentional with your time. Say no to a lot of things that don't fill up your cup. That doesn't mean blow off your girlfriend, blow off your partner, like blow off your kids. Like don't do that, but just be more intentional. And I think when you combine those two things, you can, you can for sure fit it in.
1: That's great advice. And this podcast is definitely turning a lot more technical than, than we're originally thinking, but I, it's really good. I, I really appreciate it. And I think our listeners will really appreciate it too. Yeah. So how, how do you know if it's something that's worth your time or not? How, because what if, I think there's a lot of people out there who say, I'm, I'm like this where I'm also a yes person. I say yes to everything. And a lot of the times it's not because I'm, I'm trying to people please. It's because I, I want to do it. Like I want to do all of the things. It's not that I don't want to do these things that I'm too scared to say no. So how, so it's like, how do you, it's like good things and then better things, right? That's when the decision's really hard. So how do you know if it's worth your time or not?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great question. And You know, as someone, too, who who loves to do so many things, like I, any opportunity that pops up that excites me, I want to say yes. But one quote that I read that haunts me every single day, but it's so true and it's so powerful, is that you can do anything in life but you can't do everything. And that is something that I have in my mind all the time. And so just knowing that, knowing that that's a truth of life is that you could do anything, but you can't do everything. You have to really just get super clear on your values and what fulfills you the most. So your values are obviously your family, your, your job, your health, your like finances, all those things. You need to get really clear on what's most important to you. Like for me, like the number one, most thing important to me is family. So my girlfriend, everything like that, that comes number one. Number two is health and training. I kind of fit it onto there. Number three is my job. And I kind of just really go on to that. So it's kind of like a a hierarchy of like decisions of like what to say yes to and what not to say yes to, and just kind of going with there. Now, if you have some things that kind of align into two health goals and you're like, well, which one do I choose over another? That's where that second part's in. What fulfills you the most? For me, it's running. Like running is like the thing that fills me up the most. It gets me super exciting. And I just absolutely love it. Whereas like hanging out with friends at a bar, Eh, not as fulfilling to me. So that one, it's an easy choice on there, but let's just say it's, you know, signing up for this race that I really want to do, or maybe traveling to a country that I really, really want to go to both super exciting things to me. I get jazzed up thinking about it. I want to say yes to both, but if they were on the same date and I look what really fulfills me running's the King on that one. So I say, you know what? I'm going to have to go running there. Maybe I'll do this other one in the future. So it's really just getting clear on those things. And I take, I think it takes a lot of introspection. You got to sit down write down those things. Like, what are the most exciting moments of your life? When have you felt the most alive? Like when is really just jazzed up your time and um, getting clear on those things is one of the most important things that you can do. Anyone can do in their entire life. If they really want to create something meaningful, not just in running, but their overall lives.
1: That's awesome. I love those two steps of, first of all, what are your priorities? Then next, what fulfills you the most? Mm -hmm. I think that those are great steps. Thank you for sharing that. Definitely.
2: Of course. Okay, we got to get to the hundred. <laughs> this is what I'm dying to talk about. You just ran your first hundred what six days ago? Yeah, something like that. Less than a week. So let's just take us. It's the day before your. It's it's a week. So let's say it's Friday of last week. You you, you pull up there, you, you're getting your race packet. How how are you feeling as you arrive? And that's the night before you start off on that hundred mile journey.
0: Oh man, you probably dropped me in like the most the most nerve-wracking part of the entire week. Like I You know, I was like pretty scared deep down, like just kind of thinking, oh man, this is going to be a long day. I'm going to be out there for so long. It's going to be so many miles. But it was something like getting out of the car and being at the race expo where all of a sudden it was just like, oh crap, like this is happening. Like this is real, you know? And I just remember feeling so nervous and just like kind of lightheaded because like everything was kind of hitting me at once. And I'm seeing the Mesa that we got to climb at like mile 70. And I'm like, there it is. Like, you know, just, just feeling everything and all this like anxious stuff and in that moment though like i kind of caught it and i told myself i was like hey like being in this space is not going to serve you like you you want to be out there to win tomorrow if you got to be out there to win you can't be thinking like this and what is usually the biggest cause of fear it's uncertainty i was so uncertain of how the race was going to go and at that point i just had to remind myself hey man trust your training like you hired a great coach you followed the plan you everything went so well, you're feeling good and know that for certain that you put in the work there so that your future is less uncertain in that way. And I was like, okay, great. Still a little nervous, still definitely there. I don't want to say it went away completely, but just constantly just trusting the training and and reminding it was there. But let me tell you, man, being at the race expo was, uh, I'm getting nervous. The nerves are just coming up right now. Like I'm, I'm feeling it. It It was one of the most nervous I've ever been.
2: And the, yeah, and the reason I, I ask right then, right there, because for me, it's the same way. It's when I pull in to pick up my race day bib and pack it, man, it's like my heart drops. And yes. I'm like, holy. And then I look around and I see all the other runners and just, yeah, seeing the rate, the course for the first time. And it's like, holy crap, That's this when is when happening. like,
0: uh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. hundred percent.
2: So... How did, how did I, and I also just one more thing before we move on to, to race day, I love how you pointed out, you know, I did the training. I'm just going to trust that I did my part. I did my prep, hearing you say that inspires me to get out there and make sure that I do the training, that I do it correctly, because I have had a race that I've showed up to before where I, I, I didn't. I, I didn't really do the training the way that i knew i could have done it you know i didn't i trained but it wasn't i looked at i was there on the night before the race and i'm like oh man i could have done so much more so i love how you 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 knew that you did your training and you just kept telling yourself, you know what i did my part beforehand so this is gonna happen so Congrats to you. Congrats on the training, because that's the hardest part. <laughs> Thank you, man. And
0: that's that's actually a good way to reframe it. Like you said, is like you know it, it. I would say like training is the antidote to nervousness, or yeah. not training, but preparedness. Right, being yeah. prepared, whether it is training or anything else. Right. Same with an exam for college. Right. Like usually the exams you're less nervous about, the ones you probably studied a lot for. Being prepared makes you a lot less nervous. And I've, I've never even thought of it like that to say in your training, like. Hey, if I just train, I'm going to be more prepared on race. Day. I'm going to be less nervous. I don't think a lot of people project themselves in the future like that. But to your point, I think that could be super powerful. I love it.
2: Yeah. And just the mindset. Yeah. Going yeah, into the race. For sure. So how'd you sleep the night before?
0: <laughs> oh, terrible. I slept awful. Well, first of all, the race was at like 5 a.m. And I was 30 minutes away from the race venue. Plus we came from Arizona. So we were already an hour behind on the clock. So like we already lost an hour. So I was like, all right, I'm going to try and go to bed at seven and see what happens. And of course, right. Like, you know, my body is just, it's it's six o'clock in my body. It's not going to fall asleep. So I'm just sitting there just thinking like, oh man, like <laughs> I was like, just like 12 hours. I'm going to be out still out there on the trail, like just <laughs> thinking all night, but I kind of knew that was going to happen. And one thing that, you know, I did the week, the days before that I think really helped. I got a ton of sleep the day before I was sleeping nine to 10 hours, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And that, cause I knew I was like Friday, I'm going to sleep like crap. So I'm going to get it in. So even though like I tossed and turned, didn't really sleep, I actually felt pretty well rested, waking up and excited and ready to rock it.
2: Cool. Yeah. I. I mean. I think our first, our hundred miler that we did. I slept about three hours the night before.
1: Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Did it. Did it.
2: It, it was. It was rough.
1: But I like that you brought up sleeping well the few nights before. Yeah. That's. That's always what I tell my clients before race day: is you're not going to sleep the night before, so the night before that is the most important night of rest. Go to mm-hmm. sleep early that night.
2: Yes. Amen. Hundred percent. So how did how did let's hear the race? How did it start off? Honestly. So it started off
0: great. So it was perfect temperature, nice and chilly. I think it was like low forties, which is like ideal running temperature. And honestly, the first 25 miles, it went super smooth. Like I was clocking in a pretty steady pace, was pretty front of the pack. I think I was around top five or top seven. So I was doing pretty well and just kind of telling myself, like, keep the pace, keep the goal, like just, just stay cool. And I was feeling really nice. Then at one point, around mile 26, the front of the pack started to pull away a little bit and get a little faster on the pace. Now, whether or not I know this, this was a mistake, I like to think this was a win. But at the time, the pack starts running ahead. What do you think my mind's going? Keep up with that, right? Yeah. Instead, I catch that and I say, hey, no, you, you got 75 more miles to go and you've never done this before. Keep on your pace. So I let them go and I keep on my pace and I just kind of kept going from there. And then honestly, like, yeah, the, the first, I would say 40 miles of the ways race were pretty flawless. Like nutrition was on point. I was making my splits. I was doing well. I was in and out of aid stations. Everything was going great. Then at mile 40, they sent this up, send us up like a 2000 foot Mesa over like two miles at mile 40. And it's hot. It's like 82 degrees out, like no shade. Like you're just in the middle of it. Also the climbs on blacktop. So the heat is radiating off of the, off off of the road. And a lot of people is like, oh, you're from Arizona. The heat doesn't matter. It's still hot. Like, I don't, I don't care what anyone <laughs> says. Like, you know, like heat is still heat. So I'm all of a sudden my legs just start feeling dead. And I mean like heavy, like that cement mixer feeling you get like late into your long runs. And all I'm thinking about in my head is, oh crap, because I'm looking down at my watch. I see 41 and in my head is like, bro, your legs are already shot and you got 60 more miles to go. And that's like really where it got real for me. Like, I kind of started freaking out a little bit because I was just like, oh. And that was the moment when I realized, I was like, I get why people drop. Like, I I get why people drop. And, you know, you hear a lot of stories where it's like, oh, you know, I wasn't that trash, but I dropped. Or like, and you think like, how how could you? Like, what? Like, that makes no sense. Like, But in that moment, I got it. Like, just that sheer overwhelm of all the miles in there. But one thing that really just kind of helped me was just really for me, I was like, you know what? just, just focus on getting to the next aid station. And it's easier said than done. A lot of people say like, when you just focus on the aid station, you don't think about the other miles kind of a lie. Like in the back of your head, you still know you got to carry the distance, but it makes it a little, little more manageable. So I just kept telling myself that get to the aid stations, get there and, you know, get what you need to do, have some fun and and just kind of keep going from there. But I was making great time, even though my legs were kind of dead. And I would say like miles 40 through 60 were some of my darkest for sure. Like I just, the heat, my legs just feeling tired. My stomach started turning a tiny bit, like nothing bad, but like to the point where it was uncomfortable, which is usually I would say the worst pain in an ultra is your stomach. And so yeah, 40 through 60 was pretty bad. And so I had to operate the mindset that I usually take with problems, which is solve it and keep moving. So when my stomach started hurting right away, you know, take care of it right off the bat. Don't wait, take care of it. Like, Because once you take care of the dragon, when it's a lizard, it doesn't become Godzilla, you know? Mm -hmm. So I literally had to kill that lizard, take the tum and just keep moving forward. There was one part where I had to cross a river and I had no idea. Cross the river and then the next aid station, change my shoes into dry ones right away and just kept moving forward, right? There was a rock in my shoe. As soon as that rocks in there, stop, take up the trail, get it out of there. So you don't get a blister, keep moving forward. And that was just kind of the mantra was just don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Because for me, it was like, I was telling myself the the more you move, the quicker this is going to be done with. And let me tell you, I wanted it to be done. I was, man, like 40 through 60 was uh, definitely hell for sure. And then night came and that was a whole different beast for sure. (laughs)
1: Tell us about, tell us about the night. Cause that, that is, everyone will say that's the hardest part, right? Especially eating. So it sounds like your stomach is already churning and you're already having issues. And now it's the night. How did that go?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, for sure. With the, with the food, especially in the night, because now nothing tastes good. Like nothing sounds good, at least to me at this time. And I don't know if that's like indicative of everybody. I probably did something wrong, but I, nothing sounded good. my drop bags though uh, I gave myself a variety of different options so I had pretzels and chips and candies and cookies and crackers like all this different stuff so I knew I was like okay well if I can at least give myself so many options of food that I know is going to sit well in my stomach I can at least give myself a fighting chance to pick one of those and maybe just stomach it down right so I was kind of picking things around I tried not to eat anything I wasn't familiar with like you're going to, I did it once. I think everybody's guilty of it. It's impossible not to just because Swedish fish sounded so good at the moment, but yeah. Right. It was just like, boom, I don't care. I'm taking it. But like, like I, all the stories I hear, usually the biggest blowups are usually because someone tried something that they weren't used to when they're running and they screw their stomach up and it's just a death march. So try to be cognizant of that, especially in the darker hours. But what really is the kicker in the dark, especially for me, I was alone for maybe 98 miles in the dark, 98 miles, pitch black, total darkness, lonely. And I'm very extroverted guy. I love talking with people. I love chatting with people. Like it's, just, I get energy off of that. So not only am I with nobody, my legs are toast. My stomach is pretty crappy. I'm feeling very tired and I'm just all alone out there. And it is just man, some of the craziest experiences of my life. And in that moment, like, honestly, like you get that voice in the back of your head that says you can stop at the aid station. Like you can stop, you can call your girlfriend, you can snuggle up in bed with her tonight. You can be nice and warm. You can get some hot chocolate. Like you can be all good. And that, that voice kind of kept coming back, but there's a quote that kind of kept resonating with me from Jim Walmsley that I told myself this, the suffering only stops when you cover the distance. So what that means is that if you drop out at mile 85, you didn't cross that hundred mile distance and that suffering is going to stay with you because you're going to think, what if, what if I kept going? What if I pushed through that 15 miles? What if I, so I kept telling myself that the suffering only stops when you cross the distance. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to keep on trucking and going. And I fought through some crazy stuff. I started hallucinating out there. I saw a Pokemon. I saw like a Jawa from Star Wars. I was, with <laughs> dude, I was, I was losing it. And it, it was, it was pretty miserable, but all the way up until mile 97, right. I'm Tripping. Like I can't really, I'm just, Oh, I'm in a bad, I get lost for a little bit, but I'm still kind of going mile 97. I'm three miles away, three miles away from the finish. But I stop, I break my own rule of, of not moving forward, and I stop on the trail. I have my hands just over my face, just miserable. And all I'm thinking is, this is so hard. I can't do it. There's this one guy, his name's Vasile, and I was running with him from mile, mile 40 through 60 in some of my darkest times. And he's coming up behind and he's running so strong. And his pacer's with him. And his pacer just looks at me and just goes, hop on. And I go, you know what, I might as well. And I hop on with him and we just start running hard. And, you know, for those last three miles, like we were running hard, like, you know, we're running like a nine 10 minute pace, like, which, you know, Ooh. felt, felt like a six minute pace, like yeah. in the moment, yeah. <laughs> but I was, I was running it through. And that's when I realized one thing, Pacers are a lifesaver for two reasons. Number one, they not only keep you moving, but number two, they give you company. Because even though we weren't talking or saying anything in the moment, just being around those people just kind of gave me this energy, this new light. So if you're listening to this, like get, if you can get Pacers, get the Pacers, like it's going to be a huge mental lift, something that I screwed up. I didn't have Pacers. I didn't have crew, big mistake. Um, Not doing that again. And yeah, that was the value. But in the last mile, we were running real hard. And I was probably in some of the most pain I've ever been in my entire life, but I wanted to finish hard. I wanted to finish on the one. I didn't want to walk it in. And I just kept telling myself in my mind, I said, you just got to suffer for eight more minutes, just eight more minutes. You can do like, you can do that for eight more minutes. And then you get a whole week of rest. Cause I was going to take that week off. And I just remember just sprinting into the finish line, even though the sprint was like a nine forty-five pace, I was sprinting into the finish line. And I crossed it and just this like weight off my shoulders, just kind of lifted. And I You you unlock this feeling of fulfillment. I can't really explain it, but you know, like it's those moments, like where you, you know, you you just know something special happened. I had that just unlocked, just in my chest, and laid on the ground, and just looked up, and I just said, "Holy smokes, that was incredible!" And it was totally rewarding. So, yeah, I was I was glad to be able to to push through it at the end and dig deep and just remind yourself in those last hours. It's only. It's only, you know, 30 more minutes. It's only 20 more minutes. You can, you've already suffered for so long. You can just do a little bit more. And I think that's, that's the truth with everything in life. You know,
1: I love how you're describing all the pain you're in and how hard it is. And the very first thing you think when you cross the finish line is that was incredible. What, what is so incredible about the pain to you?
0: Oh man, it's a great question. Like, and it kind of brings it back to, to what you were saying with uh, how you read David Goggins book. And that's kind of like what got my mind to ultra running was the pain. So if, if you're all familiar with can't hurt me, there's a, there's a chapter in there where he runs a hundred miles with no training, zero training. And at the end of it, he's destroyed. He's messed up. He's peeing blood. He's pooping himself. His legs are destroyed. And he's in this bathroom. And he's uh, in the shower just there. And his, his wife at the time was like, we need to call a hospital. And he's like, no, don't call the hospital because I earned this pain. And it sounds so sadistic, but I remember reading that. And I was like, I want that. Like, I want that. <laughs> like in that moment, like you, like, you earn that pain, like that, like soreness in your legs, that delirium, like it's like you earn that. And I don't think it's because you like the pain or I like the pain. It's a symbol to know that you gave it everything that you got. You gave it everything that you got. You didn't put anything uh, or leave anything on the table. You put it all out there. You gave it your all. And you feel that in your body. When you feel it, it's real. And it's, there's no palpable feeling that you gave it your all than just feeling like absolutely destroyed at the end. And there's something fulfilling about that. You can't control anything in this world, except the effort that you put in. And there's no better way to say that you put in that effort than running in a hundred mile race and
2: how your legs feel after that.
1: Honestly, Jacob brings that part up in the book all the time.
2: Yeah. That, that is, that is my favorite part, actually. Like let's go everything you were saying. I'm like, you're taking the words out of my mouth. I remember when we finished our hundred, a cousin and his wife, they 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 lived a couple hours away and they traveled down to help us out. And they stayed the night at our place, to kind of like took care of us afterwards. And she was a nurse and she kept asking me, She's like, You need to take ibuprofen. Here's some Tylenol, like you need to take something. And I
1: Jacob refused. I refuse.
2: Because <laughs> I smell yes. goggins and like <laughs> that bathtub, and how he said, I earned this. I'm not going to the hospital. I earned this. <laughs> and yes, then I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to sleep terrible still, but I earned the right to sleep terrible. <laughs> yes dude
0: you get it i love it i love it you guys are my kind of people for sure
1: (laughs) we're we're thinking the same thing this entire time we're like yes yes hallelujah (laughs) preach
0: (laughs) love the pain i love it
1: oh and and honestly your your energy and enthusiasm is so contagious i feel like i am so pumped right now and i feel like everyone who's listening to this I feel like we're just gonna see ultra runners all yeah. over the trail after this. I mean, is released. I mean, I'm looking, <laughs> I'm
2: looking at a mountain outside my window and it's got snow on it, but I don't care. I'm ready to go up it after this. Let's go. Let's <laughs> go. I love it. <laughs> so looking back, Joe, um two questions here. What what did you do that you think really helped you through that hundred mile race? And what did you do that you might change moving forward?
0: The, the two questions I think and everybody should ask themselves after every race, like, wh- and whether it's an ultra or not an ultra, like that, you, you probably ask the two most important questions because regardless of how your race goes, you want to celebrate the wins and you want to learn for something to make it better. So, man, thank you for asking that question. So, so beneficial. And I hope everybody asks themselves those questions after a race for sure. So the first thing, what thing that I did really well it sounds so simple, but I, I really noticed this was a key differentiator in the course. And that's literally keep moving forward. A lot of times what I would notice is that people would go to an aid station, they'd sit in a chair and they'd kind of stay there for like, you know, a long time. Like I would be moving around, just kind of like getting my stuff together. And some people would just be sitting on in, in a chair and just kind of relaxing. Now, listen, like there's nothing wrong with that. If, if you need that to reset, I'm not knocking on that for sure. At the end of the day though, if if you really are nervous about finishing or you wanna hit a certain time or like you're you're chasing a cutoff that maybe you're close on hitting, you gotta keep moving. Like you you gotta keep moving. And then I will tell you this, like I did sit down in a chair for very briefly. Getting up was so much more painful. My legs felt a million times worse than if I was just to keep moving. So not only that, you're gonna like real. It's it sounds counterintuitive, but the more you kind of move around and just keep your body moving, the fresher your legs are gonna be. The sooner it's gonna be over, and the more likely you are to finish at a reasonable time. Whatever that might be for you. Again, I say reasonable, but that's relative to everybody. Don't feel bad if you just want to finish. Like seriously, there's a noble goal in that for sure. I, I don't want to discount that at all. Um, and so definitely keep moving. The thing that I did wrong, 1 million percent, I think uh, to your point is not have a crew or Pacers. What I thought in the beginning was, I just like, you know what? Having a crew or Pacers is only for people who like, you know, really want to win. And I wanted to win, but to be honest, I couldn't find anyone to crew or pace me. So I was like, meh, I'll be fine. But that was a mistake. I think- I think pacers are more important than crew. I will say that because at least from my perspective, if you have a good drop bag system and you're really, really intentional about that, you can get away with it pretty easily and just be in and out there super quick. But the pacers, man, like it will make the experience so much less miserable, which I know we're talking about how miserable experiences have rewards. So it's like, well, why would you want to make it less miserable? But I mean, you know, it it, it just makes it, I, I think... You know, when you get to a certain point of so much pain, it I've seen it lead to resentment in some people and like, and just like, oh, I just don't want to do that ever again. And I think just having a pacer there, not only, I guess, makes it more enjoyable, but you create a memory with someone too. You know, I have that memory with that guy, Vasil. He actually lives in Phoenix. We're going on a run next week. Super cool. And I have that memory with him forever. Whereas like all those miles by myself out there, man, it just sucked. So get a pacer, even if your goal is just to finish. I think it helps a ton.
1: No, I think that's actually really beautiful. As you were talking, I was going to get all cheesy here, but I was just thinking about all the time that Jacob and I have spent on the trails together and how special those memories are and those moments are. And I mean, we have felt every single, like the deepest, hardest emotions together out on the trails. And Mm -hmm. I feel like it just has really strengthened our our relationship. It's really built a strong foundation for us. And I, I, there's just something special about being with people on the trail. And it's not, it's not as fulfilling. It's not as fun when you're running by yourself. So I just, I think it's, I just think that's an awesome point that you bring up.
0: Yeah. uh, That's so awesome to hear about you guys' relationship. I can't wait to dive into that on uh when you guys are on our podcast uh spoiler alert <laughs> for everybody listening but it's so true like even there was some some people in the beginning who i was running with who i didn't get their contact information i'm don't have a way to stay in touch with them but i'll never forget those people and there's something just special about that like just uh, the people you meet and you you learn their stories and sharing that memory is memories i think are so much better when you share it and i think in an ultra like if you're locked and I was locked in in the beginning and I was like, I'm not talking to anyone. I'm just cyborg. Just going to do that. And then like some guys started talking, chatting to me and I got caught in conversation. I'm so glad I did. Like, I, I, I think that would have been another mistake that I corrected in the race that I will go in with a different mindset for sure. Into the next one.
1: That's great. That's great insight. And I, I know we're getting closer up and up here. Just one more really quick story as we're talking yeah. about people, Jacob, proposed to me after a half marathon that we did oh, and there's this guy <laughs> that we ran with for basically the entire thing from wasn't he from England or something I don't even yeah, remember his name I don't remember
2: Europe. yeah yeah
1: I don't remember the conversation we had but I just we just remember running with this guy and talking to him the entire time it was just so fun and so I don't know it's it's just funny even when you don't remember their names or what they look like you just you shared that moment with them and you never forget oh that's so, so special that's
0: I love that. That's amazing.
2: So, Joe, what's the plans moving forward now?
0: Oh man. So the plans. The big. The big plan for the rest of 2022. And again, this is like this is an even wilder goal than podiuming in my first 100 mile race. Man. I know, right? I didn't think it's get it. wilder. I really want to try and get a golden ticket spot for Western States at Javelina 100 in October. So, um, I'm signed up for the race. I have this like horribly painted like cat here. As you can see, it's just this, it looks miserable, but it's a cat to represent (laughs) the, yeah, I painted this myself. It's a Joe Corcion original, (laughs) but I had that cat there to symbolize Western States 100. I've ever since I read about that in ultra marathon man by Dean Karnass, I was like, I want to do that race. And so uh, I know the lottery usually will take probably 20 to 30 years to get in there. So I was like, why not try and uh, scare myself one more time, go for the golden ticket against a, a very stacked field out at Javelina. So I will be trying to go in top two at Javelina 100 in October. I'll be working with Zach Bitter again, who actually, I believe won that race once. So good mind to pair with for sure. But in the, in the middle, then I got a lot of cool challenges like rim to rim to rim and doing the Teton Crest Trail all in one day. Ooh. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be a summer jam packed with stuff, but Javelina that is That's the big one. And am I scared? Terrified. Are people like doubt me? 100% they should. It's a big goal. But man, I I wouldn't have it any other way. The the goals that you think you can't hit are usually the ones you got to go after. And they're the most fulfilling, as I said before. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully, golden tickets in my future.
1: Oh, I love it. I feel like you're everything that we stand for. (laughs) You guys are my people. Yeah. We always say that we're like, shoot, like, shoot for the moon. Like, those like the biggest goal. Cause even if you don't get that goal, you're going to go further than you would have if you never set that goal. And I also love that you're like Western States and I got to paint a cat.
0: <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. We, we went, I went on a date with my girlfriend at this pottery place and I saw this cat and I was like looking up what's the Western States cat. And I did it and it looks terrible. And you know, I, <laughs> It's awful, but I have it there as a reminder each time. Yeah. Running is always on my mind, as you can tell.
1: Yeah. I don't
0: <laughs> to tell you that for sure. Oh, yeah.
2: no, th- That mindset, though, Joe, just to go along with what Melody's saying, like we had one of our guests on our podcast was a friend of ours is Josh Bryant. You guys can go check out that episode if you haven't. And he had the goal um, to win the Wasatch 100. Big, big time race, right? Lots of elevation. And he ended up, he didn't, he didn't podium the race. Actually, he actually had a pretty rough race, Mm -hmm. but I remember like beforehand though, you know, he, he wasn't afraid to say it though. He's he like, my everyone. goal. He yeah. Told, yeah, there was no fear. You know, like sometimes, like, I'm even afraid to tell someone that I'm good, that I'm going to go around 100 miles. Cause... We
1: haven't <laughs> even announced that on our podcast yet because we've been too afraid. <laughs> yeah,
2: you know, but there was, there was no fear. And it's just like, no, that's my goal. And that's what I'm shooting for. And I see a lot of that with you. And, you know, and if we just keep that in mind, I feel like if we just keep that in mind, sure. It might not happen the first time, but who reaches the goal on their first attempt, anyways? You know. So, but keep it, keep it, keep it. And
1: you never will if you never try. Yes. Right. Yeah. And if you never believe.
2: The whole, the whole, gotta believe. You gotta have hope. Gotta try.
0: Hundred percent. You guys nailed the two things, like shoot for the moon, aim for the stars, kind of thing. I one million. I don't think I would have gotten eleventh place if I just wanted to finish. If I just wanted to finish, it probably would have been like fiftieth or sixtieth or. Know whatever, which is again, there's nothing wrong with that, but like, I I feel like to me, if I wanted to have that goal, like just setting that high bar helped me get there. And even though I didn't get to the goal, I got farther. And to your point, Jacob, like, there's something powerful in just like declaring your goal and having that confidence, and there's like power in that, man. There's like I don't know. It's like when you speak it into existence. And I don't want to get all spiritual woo-woo, but like when there's something <laughs> powerful about speaking a goal into existence, right? That just makes it seem all the more attainable. So well said, my friends. That was you guys wrapped it up perfectly. I couldn't have said it any better myself.
1: Well, and I I don't have percent agree with that. And I think there's something about the doubters that that fuel you. I, I don't know about you, but there's something about people going like, Really? You're really gonna do that? Are you sure? That just makes you like. I'll show you like, you know what I mean? It's kind of, I think it's a good sign when people are doubting you.
0: I love it. And it's fuel, like you said, it's fuel. Like you just use that in the back pocket. Like, you know, another thing too, like there's me and my friend, we're planning on climbing all 46 peaks in the Adirondack mountains in New York in less than five days. And there's wow. people who are doubting us. And all I say to my friend, he's like, yeah, like all my friends are doubting us. And I just text him back. I just go, let them know. Just let them know. That's what, that's what you just, you got to, You got to just let them know. And that doesn't mean tell them. It means just show them. So show uh, them. Yeah. Yeah. Use that as fuel.
2: Yeah. That's great. Okay. So you have time for a couple more questions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Joe, I'm going to, this question might come from left field. It just keeps popping into my head here. I want to know your thoughts on it. Have you ever found ultra running or like you getting because I know I'm only asking this question because it's happened in my life Mm -hmm. of getting immersed in ultra running. Have you ever found any negative Mm. side effects or or negative things or negative habits creep into your life?
1: Like maybe it's consuming your life too much. And maybe you're like, oh, I'm forgetting about my friends and family.
2: Cause I, yep. I, I, this is something that I've seen a little bit in my own life. And as I have started to talk to ultra runners or just observe ultra runners, I don't feel like we talk about it a lot that there is, there is some stuff that if you're not careful can happen. So have you ever had anything like that happen to you?
0: Oh, 100%. This is a very important question that I think a lot of people need to understand, not just getting into ultra running, but like any hobby that they're like super obsessed with the first thing and foremost obsession is a gift. Like being obsessed is amazing. It's incredible, but you got to learn to control it. Especially if you're someone who really wants to have a life outside of the hobby that you do. Like I said before, like my number one priority is family. It's hanging out with my girlfriend all those things. And an example, I can tell you, I remember I was like right in like the middle of my training. I was just super, super excited. All I would talk about is ultra running. Like that was like the only thing I talked about. And I remember my girlfriend's like, she's like, man, all you talk about is ultra running. And I like stopped and I like took a, took a step back and I was like, dang, that's like, so true. Like I always talk about that, which, which is not inherently a bad thing, but like you know, sometimes like if you're hanging around with with, with people, like, it's like, you know, you want to ask them how their day is. You want to ask how they're doing. You want to build those relationships as opposed to just, you know, talking about ultra running and all those things. And so like, it's okay to be obsessed, but you got to be able to, to curb it at some times in order to enjoy the other things in life. There's so many more other things. And where I think it also gets even worse is if you get injured. When I, I did an ultra triathlon, I ended up getting injured after that. And I couldn't run at all. And those two weeks were some of the most Mentally difficult because I just didn't know what to do. I was like, what do I do? Like, blah, blah, blah. And because I didn't have any other hobbies or or outlets or anything like that, it was just really, really hard. And so I I think you put yourself in a dangerous position when you are just so obsessed with that one thing and you don't have other things to focus on that can really lead to that like mental spiral if and when you do get injured. Right. So I, I think it's being able to control the obsession. And the biggest thing that I would say to do that is live in the moment right like live in the moment like when you're with someone you love like just be there right now usually if you're thinking about ultra running you're you're in here like you're probably not ultra running when you're with them like or yeah. in your case you probably are because you guys are <laughs> married together and running together but you know it's it's being present in the moment and you know knowing that it's like I will run again like I will do those things there's a time and place in that but getting clear on your values and being present whenever you're in those modes it, it's going to help you so obsessions a gift but learn how to control it especially when it comes to ultra running for sure
1: love definitely it love it i love being obs- being obsessed is a gift i love that i've never heard that i think that's fantastic Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I used to feel bad about being obsessed, you
0: know, like uh, just, and I think a lot of people wow. do because, you know, to your point, the dark side of obsession is you drown around friends. You, you don't talk to people, you lose those connections. Like you, you don't relate as much, but if you learn to control it, that's when it's a gift, right? So there's always a dichotomy to everything. And obsession is one of those things, but if you're obsessed, don't feel bad, just learn to
2: control it and it'll be all good.
1: I love it. That's fantastic advice.
2: So before we let you go, Joe, we have one last question for you. We do this with all our guests. So if you have a friend, I'm just putting you in the scenario. You got a friend, they've been seeing what you've been doing and they're inspired and they've started on their running journey and now they've signed up for their first ultra marathon and they come to you and they say, Hey, Joe, I've signed up for my first ultra marathon. It's in like nine months. What advice do you have for me? Like what one thing should are you going to tell me to help me get through this?
0: I, I love it, man. I love this question. I asked the same question to all the guests that I have on the show, which I will ask you guys. So you guys got some time to prepare, which is great. <laughs> but it's funny because the same answer that I would give is the answer that I probably get from 90 to 95% of the guests that I have on the show. And that is consistency is the most important thing. A lot of people will say mileage is the most important thing. I 100% disagree. I think someone who is consistent, who's showing up every day, six days a week, and maybe only running seven to eight miles is going to outperform the person who maybe runs three days a week, one of them being a 20 miler and the other one just being all this big mileage. I would say the consistent person going to win because the consistent person knows to show up even when it's hard. The consistent person knows how to problem solve and work around it when obstacles come in their way. And what happens in an ultra marathon? obstacles come in your way. You're going to have to solve the problem. The unexpected is going to come up. You're going to have to figure a way to weasel around that. And the only people that know how to do that are the people that are consistent because they know in the end of the day, they're going to get it in. So instead of focusing on getting the miles in focus on being consistent. And that just means showing up for the days you say that you're going to show up, go to your workouts. When you say you're going to workouts, don't skip them. If you say you're now granted, if you're injured, please like definitely use caution. And like, you know, a lot of people's like, well, what if I'm injured? Well, yeah, but come on, use common sense. But I always say like, show, like make the promise to yourself and then keep it. You know, if if you're in the position to do so, skipping those workouts is going to be more harmful for your brain than it is going to be for your body. Because once you break the promise to yourself, it becomes so much easier to break the rest of those promises for yourself. Your training goes out the window. You feel less prepared. See how that spiral begins. Stay consistent over the mileage. And you're going to cross that finish line for sure. No doubt.
1: Wow. You brought up a new thing that I've never thought about before, but being consistent teaches you how to problem solve because you're mm-hmm. like, I promise I'm going to run on this day. Now you have to think, oh shoot, I have this event in the morning and this in the evening. Okay. I'm going to run one hour here, 20 minutes here. And then yep. two hours here. That is golden. I love that.
2: Or when That's something awesome. comes up and maybe your original plans also in sudden- emergency, I don't know, something unforeseen happens. And now you have to replan your day, but still get that on the fly.
1: Oh, yeah, that's gold. That is gold.
2: I love that. Well, Joe, thank you so much. I feel like we just barely scratched the surface of all you have to share. So for all our listeners who are just digging to learn more from you, where can they go to find you?
0: Well, thank you so much again for having me on. And anyone listening to, we're going to have on uh, Jacob and Melody on the Everyday Ultra podcast. So be really on the lookout for that because I'm so excited to interview you two. I know it's going to be incredible. I'm so curious to dive into your guys' story, your self-supported first 100 miler. My mind is still like, spaghetti over that That that's incredible but definitely check out that episode when it drops but you can find the everyday ultra podcast anywhere podcasts are itunes spotify anchor i'm also on instagram pretty active at joe corcion i always love meeting people in the ultra community and seriously like if you ever just want to connect say hi ask questions you know hop on a call like whatever like i'm always down i love meeting people in the community so reach out to me if you ever want to link up for anything and yeah it'll I always just, this community is the most special part. I think of, of the sport really
2: in essence.
1: Amen. Amen. We would agree hundred percent. And we'll put all of that in the show notes too. Boom.
2: So thank you, Joe. Thank you for coming on. I know that for me, myself, you inspire me and just, I, you know, I've been ultra running. This is like my going into my fourth year now. Wow. And I was finding a, I've been there's been like a, I want to say a little bit of a burnout, burnout. Yes. Mm -hmm. The flame needed a little bit more igniting. And after I found your podcast, I can tell you that it has like, it helped me refine. It wasn't that like it was anything too new from what I already knew, but just the way that you voice things and how you just, you have a certain energy about you that just helped reignite that flame and helped me remember this is why I love it. So thank you, Joe. I know that you are inspiring many other people as well.
0: Oh, that makes me so happy to hear, man. And that's, that's, that's why I do what I do and why, why I think you guys do what you do too. I mean, I'm sure you guys inspire so many people and it's the power of sharing your story and, and, and really just giving yourself a platform, which you guys have done so well. So you guys I'm sure are inspiring so many other people and anyone who's listening right now, like, the the power of sharing your stories it it can help other people and inspire and so so keep doing it and you guys definitely the same goes to you for sure
1: thank you so much we appreciate that a ton it was just a pleasure to have you on and i i know we went over a little bit so thanks thanks for spending time with us we appreciate it a ton and our i'm sure our listeners appreciate it
0: of course i appreciate it too thank you so much
2: Thank you all for joining us here on today's episode of Trailer 100. I know you enjoyed it. I don't even have to hope on this one. Joe was an amazing guest and we thank him for coming on and sharing his experience with us. Please make sure you subscribe and review our podcast. You can review us on Apple or Spotify. This helps us to be able to create more quality content for you guys. So please take that minute give us a five-star review or a four i'm not saying you have to give us five or three if you really don't like us but go and give us a review we'd love to have it and hear your comments lastly we did just do an interview with joe where he interviewed us for his podcast so we will be Uh, appearing on his podcast that episode has not been released yet so but just another reason for you to go check out the everyday ultra podcast with joe corcian we will talk to you all next time This episode was brought to you by Jacob, the running realtor. Next time you move in the state of Utah, hire a realtor who understands the importance of living where you love to run. Contact me through Jacob, the running realtor.com. That is Jacob, the running realtor.com live where you run.